Commander Legends has been praised by many for not only bringing fresh abilities and mechanics into EDH, but also for packing each legendary creature with lore and flavour. Some of the legends are brand new, but many are deep pulls from across Magic's history that have been exciting for those players both new and old. Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic flavour design and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. And today we are continuing on with our Commander Legends uh, review. It's not really a review, more of an overview of everything that's going on. Uh, Last week we did the mechanics and the design philosophies of the set, where we broke down what we thought about how the set was actually put together and some of the mechanics involved. Um, And we said, didn't we, that we were going to do one mechanics episode and one lore episode. I mean, that was our original idea, right? Yeah, that's a folly of our our youth. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, That's not going to happen because there's just too much going on. Um, We are actually going to be doing two lore episodes. Uh, This week we're going to be doing what I'm going to dub um quote-unquote old lore which is to say any of the characters that have got cards in this set where they've have established backstories or established stories or established lore and then next week we're going to be doing the brand new characters that there are quite a few and actually surprisingly they went really wild with the newer characters i thought it was going to be all callbacks but actually some of the new ones seem pretty sweet as well as having uh, like no laws to them um and we're going to cover that next week um so yeah we've got quite a lot to get through just as a disclaimer i suppose uh we're not doing deep dives on every single legend that has old lore but now has a card um we did set a bit of uh, a couple of boundaries right um mm. so one of those boundaries was we're not going to deep dive on any character that has already had a card. I think one of your choices, which you've yeah. paired with another one, is a character that already had a card, but they're not getting their own little slot. Um, because there are there are characters in here, like, I know you're going to mention very quickly something like the ghost of Ramirez de Pietro, which... Same. Yeah, which would be brilliant, but actually, he already has a card. We're talking about ones where we got excited the fact they got a new one, despite the fact that the Ghost of Ramirez de Pietro is a pretty sweet pull, and you will describe that in your turn. Um, we also are not uh, going into just any sort of legends that maybe we saw and were like, eh, okay, like some of them are really cool, but maybe is like uh, on our excitement meter isn't that high because we, we feel we've only got a limited amount of time. We're really tackling the ones where we think, yes, absolutely, this is a character that deserved their own card a long time ago, and thank God they've got one now. Um, just before we kick off, though, Nathan, I received something pretty special in the post this morning. Uh, I received Magic the Gathering Legends, a visual history by Jay Anelli. Uh, for listeners of this show, um, if you're also not a listener of the Vorthos cast, which is the uh, podcast founded by Janelli and Lorelai Weissel, um, you should absolutely check out that podcast because they are doing massive deep dives, especially with Commander Legends. I don't know if you saw, Nath, they are doing every single legend is going to get a massive deep dive <laughs> yeah. from them. It's good that they're doing that. I mean, we, we'd be here for hours. We, we're bad at 
bad at getting through things succinctly at the best of times. So. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think they're doing like three whole episodes on it. I could be wrong. Maybe it's just two, but like, yeah, they're going full into it. Um, but this book is incredible. Uh, I knew he was writing it because everyone who's anyone in the Vorthos community was tweeting about the fact that he was writing this book. And it's an officially uh, licensed and sanctioned Wizards of the Coast book as well. So he had access to all of the artwork, even some of the symbols for things like artists' names are the same ones that you find on uh, like the magic cards. Um, he's done a foreword and acknowledgements and there's the cover art is uh like a commissioned artwork by tyler jacobson but it's got a bunch of legends on there it's got like sisse and jared and atraxa nimizit avacyn brago krenko so yeah it's it's pretty full-on and it's a pretty um intensive sort of not on every legend ever because the book would be like a thousand pages but it is a fairly big deep dive on some of the key characters across many of the different planes of magic. And I think it's kind of interesting that he released it now, just before Commander Legends, because I suppose that was a conscious choice to not have to deal with all the legends in Commander Legends. But yeah, it's really cool. JNLE is one of the the sort of key Vorthos figures in our community. Like, not only does he have a podcast, um, but he also writes for Cool Stuff Inc. And he is also a consultant for Wizards of the Coast on Vorthos Matters. Um, so if you're not keyed up on either Vorthos um, Vorthos Mike, although Vorthos Mike is mentioned in this book. If you're not keyed up on Jay and Ellie or the Vorthos cast or his writing on Cool Stuff Inc um, I absolutely implore you to do so um, I mean the Vorthos cast I think it's fairly good to say the Vorthos cast was a big inspiration of us doing this podcast Yeah right? absolutely, yeah for sure Yeah, Yeah Cool. Well, all right, that's all the waffle you're going to get. We're not going to talk about the weather or what we did this week because uh, we've got a lot to get through. So I think we should kick off. Nathan, why don't you start us off? Who is your old law hype pick, your first one? Go. Um, so I've got Glacian and Rebecca uh, kind of taking the first like first position. Uh, main reason I put these together is because they kind of both come from a similar time. Um, what I've written here is whoop more Thran characters. Um, specifically, <laughs> um, when we looked at Modern Masters, we had uh, sorry Modern Horizons. We got um, Urza and we got um, Yorgmoth. Now Urza yes. was from his time, you know, years after Yorgmoth had already done all his crazy nonsense over Reflection. But we did get a little glimpse of the Thran, you know, at the time like you know thousands upon years before um, before all of the events of Urza and all of that nonsense. So it was really nice to see characters I've had kind of kicking about in my head since the early days of playing magic I didn't necessarily read all of the old school novels which don't get me wrong it's on my bucket list to eventually do but I know characters like Glacian and Rebecca and, and, and other characters that I'll talk about just in a moment that probably maybe still need to be printed as well but getting Glacian and Rebecca was really important they were basically two of the characters that were really um, influential in Yorgmoth's um, ascension uh, in the Thran Empire um, Glacian fell um, victim to Yorgmoth's uh, plots whereas Rebecca kind of developed romantic feelings with him despite the fact that Glacian and Rebecca were uh, you know, husband and wife. Basically, old school stories were super bonkers. They had loads of uh, intrigue, um, romanticism, all of this nonsense, you know, all the stuff that we don't get anymore. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but we don't talk about that. Um, the interesting thing I like about these two is that you get a little look at, um, at a time... And, and the way I, the way I wrote it down was that it's interesting when you start talking about like power stones um, and um, like the technology they were using, like um, like rocket launchers and things like that. It almost sounds like a modern day kind of like nuclear dependency on on, on energy and that kind of thing. So I think the Thran technology is super interesting. The, in, the the thing that is interesting about it is if you look at like say old ancient technology like the Mayans or the Egyptians, compare that to modern day man. They're not necessarily stronger or smarter or wiser or have better technology. If anything, they're pro probably more primitive. So I like this idea that Glacian is a six mana costing um, dude, which to be fair, probably does him an injustice. I think his card specifically is probably a little bit of an injustice because in my mind, Glacian was this 
massive pro- prolific artificer of Thran technology, which if Urza's only like, you know, um, catching up on the curtails of this and Urza's abilities are very, very strong. It was funny that Glacian kind of got depowered as much as mm. he did. Um, I think it's also kind of interesting that back in the day, cards were really over-costed. Um, um, over and I think it might be a slight nod in the same way Radiant, in the same fashion, is like a seven-mana costing card. It might play down her power and significance as a character within the lore. Um, mm. Whereas, say, Rebecca's abilities, I think, are a little bit stronger, a little bit more like... Um, so so Rebecca um, is a three and a white um, for... Um, oh, one sec. God damn, I have like 18,000 tabs open for this today, so you'll have to bear with me. Um, so she's a three and a white for three, four human artificer. Artifacts you control for protection from each converted mana cost among artifacts you control. Now, that's actually a really simple bit of text, but it's actually really, really powerful. It also, also, she has partners. So you can, in law, have both Rebecca and Glacian playing together, which I really like. I like this idea that the yeah. two can actually work in concert together as well. But she was um, an architect, she was, as an architect, architect of Ascension, she was a prolific architect, where she, whereas he was an artificer so she built most of the um the cityscape around um halcyon which is the thran capital city and i like this idea that the more that you build the more she protects um and the idea being that if you build up you know a four drop and a five drop and a six drop and all of this nonsense around her she's able to kind of bind that together in a way that's kind of infallible um that's mm. really really cool the fact that we actually get to see a face to these people as well like a face on the cards this is really important everyone likes super sexy orgmoth like looking a little bit like nicholas cage from conair people like that <laughs> they like having a face that they can put to these names and i think that it's funny that um it's funny that I think certain characters got like mythical status, say like Sak- Sakashima, for example, whereas I'd have mm. put Glacian at uh, the mythic status for myself because I've known about these people for so long, you know, and I've had fi- now I finally got a face to the name. Don't get me wrong, it's cathartic, but it does feel like a little bit, maybe a little bit of a letdown mechanically. Um, it's interesting with these uh, old legends from the Dominaria stories, but even within the concept of the Dominaria stories and the Weatherlight Saga, these characters are ancient characters even by those standards. Mm-hmm. It's funny that I think Wizards of the Coast, whilst they're still trying to push for the old stories to be recognised and to be paid homage to, I mean, they're not the only characters from that time period that we have had printed recently. But, you know, when you're talking about the Thran Empire... You know, most players don't even know that name if they've come to the game in the past few years outside of commander mm. cards like Thran Dynamo or Thran Temporal Gateway. And, you know, having this sci fi fantasy element, I think even now, even in a set like Commander Legends, is something that they don't necessarily want to bank on too hard. Because yeah. as soon as you start putting these cards at mythic level, people start going, well, hang on a minute. Is like magic's actually much more of a sci-fi game than I realized because the mm-hmm. Weatherlight Saga was essentially sci-fi fantasy. So um, yeah, I see what you mean, but it is great to have these characters back. Yeah, because it's also interesting that a lot of the way that their power stones worked and thing like Glacian end up dying from Thysis, Thys- Thys- uh, which is basically like power stone <laughs> radiation. I know, shut up. Um, which is better. And the way I look at powers is almost like like uranium and things like that. It does feel almost yeah. like nuclear energy, which is really interesting to think. And we talked about this during my um, Tron video about how it's almost like really ancient technology having almost like futuristic abilities. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because his, his ability to. Um, um, you tap him and tap X art- untapped artifacts. Look at the top X cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. As an as a as a line of text, that's not hugely powerful, but it does it is very demonstrative of his abilities. Um, and what's also really interesting is that the um, he ended up having a latent um, uh, planeswalker spot that never got used. But the power stone that ended up killing him was the power stone that f- um, not only fueled the portal between Dominaria and Phyrexia, but was also the um, the power stone that got split into the Might Stone and the Weak Stone, starting the whole of the Brothers' War uh, saga. Yeah. 
So I, I, the, annoyingly, what we haven't said is that I've kind of taken like the older characters and Andy's yes. taken the newer characters and I've tried to do like mini breakdowns. And even now talking like at the speed I'm talking at, I've had to ignore three paragraphs of uh, bullet points because old school <laughs> lore is fucking insane, guys. Okay? It's big. Go and it's read some big. of it. It's got so much, it's so protracted, it's got duplicity, it's got so many layers to it. We're going to get to that with my other characters as well. But just from a get-go, getting Glacian and Rebecca characters that I've had in my head for so long that a lot of old-school players would have had in their head for so long may not mind about the power level being low. Obviously, Urza and Yorgmorty wanted to be super pokey and amazing, and plus Modern Horizons, it's paying to Modern, you know, to Commander. The fact they can partner together, all of this nonsense, mwah, beautiful, love it. Excellent. Cool. I think, I think, yeah, I think they are very cool. I'm really glad to see them back. Um, as Nathan said, I am taking some of the newer characters, as in, I don't know if we deci- uh, decided what newer meant. I think, in my head, it's like Mirrodin to now is kind of newer. Mm. Is that fair? I think Mending, we didn't actually say this, but I'm thinking about now, Mending is probably about the right time, because that's sure. about the time when you had all of the old school, super powerful old walkers, which is kind of hard, you know, before we even had planeswalkers or card type. So it's quite hard then to define power levels and everything, and maybe cards back then, even if you look at power levels of the cards mechanically, you know, they're all seven drop three threes and stuff like that. It is a different time. I feel like everything mm. post-Mending is kind of like the modern era of design, as well as the modern era of law. Yeah, for sure. Loosely, loosely. <laughs> well, my uh, first two characters, and I have I've done the double up thing as well with some of these partner ones to fill one of my kind of pick slots. Uh, is very recent. Well, I say very recent, relatively recent. Who knows what time is anymore? Um, my first one is Malcolm, Keen-eyed Navigator, two and a blue for a two-two legendary creature, Siren Pirate, uh, flying. Whenever one or more pirates you control deal combat damage to an opponent, you create a treasure token for each opponent dealt. Uh, for each opponent's dealt damage, and it has partner, and the partner for him, well, like the kind of flavorful partner for him, is Breaches, Brazen Plunderer, three and a red, for a legendary creature, Goblin Pirate, three, three, uh, Menace, whenever one or more pirates you control deal damage to your opponents, exile the top card of each of those opponents' libraries. You may play those cards this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were any color to cast those spells, and it has partner. So we have Breaches and Malcolm. Um, Malcolm's been getting a lot of flack in the yeah, magic community guy, when, when this card got spoiled uh people didn't know who malcolm was as a character and so when people just saw oh it's a siren who's called malcolm it just yeah and i th- i think this almost prompted us to kind of go no we have to do a lore episode because i think someone yeah. in our own play group was like who the hell is this guy and i just this is one of these characters for me the reason they're my first pick are the kind of epitome of why a set like Commander Legends is so important and so fun because you can put these characters in and as soon as someone went, oh, Malcolm, that's a weird name. Who is this guy anyway? People like you and me can launch straight into Oh my god! You need to read like the Ixalan stories. You need to yeah, learn about religion. That moment, isn't it? It's like, oh, buddy, let's go. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly us. So, the, who these characters are? Let's break it down. So, they were first introduced in the Ixalan or web fiction stories um, in 2017, written by Alison Lurs. The whole thing was written by Alison Lurs. Uh, we've often cited this as being one of the better arcs, uh, story arcs in recent memory for Magic Story. Um, they are both members of the Brazen Coalition of Pirates. So, the Brazen Coalition. Was the is the kind of collection of uh, all the different pirate captains and armadas that make up the pirate tribe on Exelon, uh, and specifically they serve on the belligerent under Captain Vraska. Yes, that Vraska uh, during her quest for the Immortal Sun during the Ixalan stories. Um, they have what I would describe as an odd couple dynamic. 
so Malcolm the Siren is very sort of calm, and as sirens are generally, they're sort of very ethereal, they're very uh, sort of skyward looking, and you know, they're kind of clean and prim and proper. Even the piratey ones tend to be like, you know, the intelligent pirates rather than the kind of, you know, brutish orcs or the the kind of, you know, uh, scatterbrained goblins. Um, and then breaches throughout all the stories like everything he says is meant to be kind of annoying like everything he says is a shriek he's always yeah. going gold beer gold gold everything's capitalized isn't it oh yeah yeah like he's not you you would like him despite the fact that he's annoying he's an annoying asshole uh but these two are like best friends um so i think that's kind of a cool dynamic i've put, I've put down here i'm doing what you do which is uh comparing things to other ips uh malcolm is the legolas and breaches is the gimli <laughs> nice. and who doesn't want a legolas gimli sitcom you know like these two these guys just have a miniseries it's funny that you mentioned whether they get their own miniseries or not, because they kind of got the pilot episode for one. <laughs> so at the end of the Ixlan stories, so the Ixlan arc basically revolves around the four tribes of Ixlan racing towards the golden city of Arazka to try and find the artifact known as the Immortal Song. Uh, Song? The Immortal Sun. So it's it's basically like, you know, the greatest race adventure type thing, going for this MacGuffin. And the uh, writers for the Ixalan story arc commissioned four individual mini uh, episodes, or like as, a, as an epilogue to the main story, so that the public could vote on which tribe won the Immortal Sun. So they left the last episode relatively open-ended, and then the epilogue would be, so who do you want to see finally get the artifact? Do you want it to be the pirates, the merfolk, the Sun Empire dinosaurs, or the Brazen Coalition pirates? Um, and they wrote a story for each of them. I think it was the, the Sun Empire, weirdly, was the one that got voted for the most. Did you did you vote in that? I did. I think... I cannot remember who I voted for. I think I did vote for the Sun Empire because I think it made sense for me in terms of like momentum of the story like i think it made right. sense for them to claim the, the city back for themselves it didn't i didn't want the vampires to get it at all and for me i felt like the pirates didn't necessarily need need it you know i like the idea mm. that there was a race to it but i feel like it did it was always the ownership should have felt to the to the sun empire because it was sure. their city already i think that's why i, I think i think i voted for the vampires simply because they had the least amount of votes and i was like well i, I don't really <laughs> i didn't want the sun empire to do it um but anyway lo- long story short in the pirates epilogue because they all got released Breaches and Malcolm are the only pirates left because other crewmates of the belligerent weren't there anymore. Vraska and Jace had planes walked away. Um, so they were literally there with this golden city ready for the taking. So they become co-emperors of the golden city of Arazka. And the last story is them basically having turned the golden city into a pirate den in Ixalan. And everyone's like got a shit ton of gold and everyone's partying and playing cards. And they're now... the yeah exactly so they kind of did get their own little pilot episode of like what we could have um if people had voted the correct way um (laughs) uh, (laughs) i mean neither of us did no clearly um so i think the cards as the cards go i think they're fine i think they very much slot into the pirate tribe uh archetype of this set and obviously trying to like backdate it to the excellent pirates as well um i kind of feel like Although having the impulsive draw effect on breaches is kind of cool because it's like the goblin is just like throwing things out the the toy box. He's very much like Grenzo, Havoc Razor in that feeling of where Mm. he's just looting things and trying to find a good thing to use. I kind of feel like he should have been the one to make treasure tokens because he is very obsessed with gold throughout the stories. And although it would be kind of boring, I suppose it would be very boring. I kind of thought Malcolm 
because he is a navigator and a siren and he's a flyer that can kind of see for miles some sort of like draw effect maybe like whenever a pirate deals damage draw but then that's kind of boring so mm. i don't know i think they're fine representations they are uncommons as well so they can't be too splashy um and yeah i would happily build a slightly lower powered pirate deck with these two at the helm i think even though it cuts out black which is annoying but there we go so yeah that's malcolm and breaches very cool very cool okay well i like we're gonna be swinging from from like recent to, to old school quite quite polarizingly <laughs> uh, so my, my next one is um is belby uh, now belby's super interesting uh belby is a black green 2-2 we've already talked about this last week but she's a legendary creature zombie elf at the beginning of each player's post-combat main phase that player adds Two generic for each of your... Sorry, actually, two colourless, not too generic. Two colourless for each of your opponents who lost life this turn. Um, now, that's already a very nuanced bit of um, bit of um, mechanical um, flavour. But in terms of some backstory, Belby originally was born as a villa, um, Eladamri's princess daughter. Uh, she was killed and reborn as a Phyrexian cyborg um, with the charge to oversee the selection process of the new Envinka. Now, the Envinka mm. is um, basically like a big, like, uh, almost like a lieutenant, um, essentially. Um, and the three different people that could have been were Krovax, Graven, um, and, um, oh God, why have I forgotten? Ertai. Ertai, thank you, good God. Um, before he got all, um, you know, corrupted and, and, and multi-handed. Um, and the idea was that <laughs> She, um, so after she was killed and reborn, all, she lost all of her memory. She's almost like, um, almost like, like AI, you know, when you have AI in films where they're slowly gain, gaining purposeful sentience, uh, sentience mm. where they're trying to, and so, so she's basically sat in the middle of, of, of this political intrigue, um, which plays very much into her card as well. Um, it, in the story, she starts to rebel, makes decisions of her own. She even falls in love with Erta. They start a romantic relationship. Ultimately, she betrays the Phyrexian cause to assist in her father's escape after her and, and, and Adamri cross paths. And she's confused as to why his, he reacts so um, vehemently against her, because obviously she looks exactly like she did before. Um mm-hmm. And then he ends up killing her with using the exact same poison that was used to kill her initially, um, uh, which is a great irony. Um, but in, so in the end, she ends up dying, kind of betraying the cause. And she ends up being almost like she's like the protagonist, essentially, of her main storyline. You see everything from her perspective, which is really interesting. I like this fact this plays into her... Um, into her card because she is essentially sat in the middle watching everyone hit each other and each everyone's benefiting from dealing damage to each other now mm. it also a little bit of zancha zancha's kind of a, of a similar time being a sleeper agent playing both sides and this and, and like i like that kind of political intrigue you don't get that as much these days as i wrote here is first off stories used to be so good which <laughs> is another statement because again like you had <laughs> You had nuance. Like you had um, a massive protracted nuance to, to, to the stories, which you can do in grand novels where you have like a series. So you can actually have a lot of character for a story presented in a simple line of text. You're like, oh, okay, well, that plays that plays into this idea that, you know, that, that she she was a silent observer in, in all of the chaos. Um, mm. And I think maybe she deserved to have some like death touch or something to denote the fact that she was supposed to be exceptionally strong. Being a tutu, I think, kind of undermines her a little bit. Um, and she had her previous cards like Belby's Armour, Belby's Portal, but not having a card herself back in the day. It's funny that now we see her now in modern times and she is still only a two mana two two, um, which mm. is, a, you know, a curiosity. I think maybe she needed something to denote the fact she was a cyborg because you don't actually see that in the artwork at all. You wouldn't know unless you read into the law. Um, and it also would have helped her trigger herself as well. So beyond that. I think it does play to the character very well. I like, I like I like the look of it. And also it's a character that, again, if you've got a character on named cards and you don't have the character itself, there is a big question as to why. We're going to get to this mm. a little bit later as well. There's a, with um, Neverennial. 
of where if you have a name floating around in the space for, for years and years and years and years, eventually it's either forgotten, which for some people I think like Belby was forgotten by most because it's um, she was a character from back in the day, you know, looking at two, th- well, 20 years ago now. So, you know, it's, it's hard to maybe grab people's attention for a character like that that has a bit more nuance, but I think they did a very good job of it. It's interesting as well because she is a very instrumental part of a lot of big hitters uh, story arcs, like not only having her own storyline, but Ella Damri is a fan favorite elf who was, you know, a pivotal character during the whole Weatherlight mm-hmm. saga. Um, so it's, yeah, to have a character that is so tied to him and characters like Urtai and Krovax and whatever else not have a card is very strange. I wonder if maybe uh, she would have seen a card sooner had her cards with her name on it, like Belb's armor and all that kind of thing been more of a staple in more formats right yeah i wonder like the then she was pretty strong people's... but i mean again it's a niche it's a it's a it's a um a tribal synergy card i mean it does have one other card but i mean it's so forgettable i didn't even realize it was a card until i had to i searched it up so yeah i have it's... seen online i think i wonder if this is in Mara's blogger talk where i've seen this before but maybe it was in the oh no it could have been in the article which kind of broke down some of the lighter notes on these characters they did have a card designed for her at the time but it was uh, built around steel effects and it wasn't a mechanic that they thought thought felt uh fitted with the rest of the set so she did have right. a card design at one point but they never pulled the trigger on actually printing it yeah so it um, seems interesting yeah. when she's the protagonist and obviously krovax um Urtai, um graven all of them got cards of their own of their own design it was interesting mm-hmm. the fact that she didn't have one um obviously these are the kinds of sets where this is um this is where we can kind of you know write those wrongs yeah for sure Cool. Uh, All right. So my next character up, uh, which I'm going to talk about, is Lysa, Shroud of Dusk. Uh, We've already discussed how to pronounce this name. I thought it might be Liesa, but you've gone for Lysa. I think Lysa, yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you. Because I think Lea's I think plays to the fact that lie and the fact that she kind of goes against I don't know it just it, it seems to be um, evocative of of, of yeah. her as a character as well yeah for sure uh, so Lysa Shroud of Dusk is two white white and a black for a five five legendary creature angel uh, rather than pay two. Uh, colorless for each previous time you've cast this spell from the command zone so the command attacks this game uh, pay two life that many times flying lifelink whenever a player casts a spell they lose two life so very Orzov feeling card here and also some uh, some direct reference to the command zone command attacks which being the commander set you'd expect that to happen um, so who the hell is Lysa? Well she's actually been a character in the law for quite some time. Uh, it's just the fact that we haven't ever had a name for her. Lysa is the fourth sister uh, for the uh, angel sisters of Innistrad. So you have Sigarda, Gisela, and Bruna um, were the other three sisters. And Lysa is this fourth one, obviously creating the... So they're all white, but then one's white green, white red, white blue, and now we have the white black one. Um, before Avacyn, was a thing on Innistrad because Avacyn, if people don't know, is actually a construct created by Sorin. She's an artificial angel that is just made to be the most powerful one on the plane. Uh, these four angels were the kind of dominating angelic forces on the plane and they had their own flights. Um, she's always been in the background. The reason we don't know who she is is because Avacyn has banned use of her name because of Lysa's practices and the practices of, of her flight. Um, we knew that she was there in the background. We know that Avacyn at one point fought and killed 
this Lysa character, although we didn't know the name. But we never quite understood why until a 2016 story, A Gaze Blank and Pitiless by Ken Troop, which was for the Shadows Over in Estrad uh, Eldritch Moon stories, web fiction. Uh, and in that, uh, we get quite a large description. So the description that I've got here, I'm going to lift this straight from uh, the story itself. Uh, it's quite a big paragraph. So, and then, Avacyn had turned on their sister... It was true their wayward sister engaged in unconventional actions and made unwelcome allies. Sometimes she would consort with vampires and witches, even demons and devils. We must know our enemies if we are to defeat our enemies, she would say. She was often distrusted and disliked by other angels, even sometimes by her three sisters. But the four of them had a deep bond, and though their sister charted a very different path, still she was their sister. Until the sister had formed an alliance with a demon lord an act condemned by them all. Avacyn had declared her a heretic, an accomplice to the very monsters Avacyn and all the angels were sworn to defeat. The three other sisters had agreed with Avacyn, but did not join Avacyn in her crusade against their dark sister. Avacyn had not needed their help. A thousand years ago, Avacyn single-handedly destroyed their sister and her entire small flight, and they had made their very mention of her name forbidden. So there we go. So that is like... We did get this in 2016, and we haven't got much more expanded lore um, recently. But that whole chunk um, was very sort of revealing because I think people knew from the original Innistrad set that there was definitely this missing element in the Angels because we had three colors but not a fourth one, and then we had Avacyn. So yeah, it's pretty incredible that we got this character finally, and that we kind of we get now, as you say, the face to match up with the story. Um. It's interesting, in her card art, she's carrying a spear. So all the angels have their kind of their own weapons, right? Um, in this artwork, the spear is very similar, I thought, to Avacyn's Moonsilver spear. I don't know about you. It's the kind of two-pronged fork. There the is a likeness the there, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, think so. Or it might have, because obviously it's the black-white angel, and then, sorry, there's a black-white planeswalker creating an angel. Mm. There's a chance that he kind of almost, not deliberately created her in that image, but obviously maybe stole a little inspiration from her. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it definitely, the card itself obviously definitely harkens back to a lot of other demon and vampire cards that we have in Magic. This kind of uh, sort of taxing your own life for an effect kind of thing. Paying to life to do a thing is a very demonic pact idea. And interestingly, she's the only angel out of all the sisters to have lifelink if you don't count the uh, sort of eldritch version of Gisela, because Gisela has uh, lifelink when she becomes a pawn of um, Emrakul. Yeah, um, but out of all of the... Rather than her being lifelink. Exactly, too. yeah. So if you take the kind of base level, like, non-eldritch versions of the angels, she's the only one to have lifelink, which is a kind of sucking and gaining of life effect, I guess. Um, yeah, I think she's rad. I think also, out of... So, this is a very different approach to how I viewed Malcolm and Breaches. With Malcolm and Breaches, I was quite shocked that we didn't get them at the time as cards. So now mm. I'm happy that we do. With this one, I think it's a perfect time for it. The fact that we had so much mystery surrounding this other sister, and even when we got a backstory for her, we didn't even figure out who she actually was or what her name was or what she did, really. Mm. It, was um, a hint. it was a hint. And to now get the card to kind of slot in, because there's no, I guess, I could be wrong, but there's no benefit 
to the story now to keep that information hidden. The reason that it was kind of still a mystery in even Shadows Over Innistrad is because Avacyn was going crazy. And the whole that whole dialogue I just read out was Sagarda remembering the time that her and her sisters killed their fourth sister when she's about to go and meet Bruna and Gisela, fearing that they might now kill her. So now that we have all that information and that kind of story arc is has been kind of mined for all its emotional worth we can now have the face of lysa and sort of go okay this is the angel that's cool we have all the pieces of the puzzle now and yeah, yeah. so i think it's a really cool card um i also think yeah. the card is pretty rad for the character i think home run for that i think one. so yeah very interesting and it's one of those cards that's been like um wanted for ages like i didn't mention earlier but um in terms of like the thran time people really want a gix and they really want a diford mm-hmm. um character and we haven't had them yet which i think is deli- what, what i was going to do this at the end but might as well talk about now there's a lot of characters that might still be missing that i think if they're quite high the list because liza was liza was like i think number one or number two on on um um Ver- verhey's like list of characters he knows people want to see so yeah. he t- you know, went through and ticked gix i know is in that top five as well which means if it's not seen now and people are going well wh- why-, why have we still seen him trust me it's going to happen soon there is no it'll way be a commander precon or something exactly something like that so yeah i think this is one of those if they hadn't have done this riots you know whereas characters yeah as you say like malcolm and breaches i'm surprised that they did it and i'm really glad that they did because it's almost like oh well we didn't get a chance then when are we ever going to see them and obviously these kinds of sets are really good for going hey look there's a wealth of characters out there that we still have to pull from for sure i'm also, I'm also going to apologize because the bagpipes are back i don't know why they oh. do this Every, just don't, just don't. we're going to work around i did wonder what that was in the background of your audio cool yeah, it's a fucking um, leaf blower again it's fine bane of my life <laughs> bane of my life right so talking about getting megalomaniacally angry about things let's talk about tevish sat shall we oh baby i'm looking forward to this right. one yeah, so this is a massive deep cut. So what I really like about this is we got Wing Grace. Um, oh, I was going to say last year, but it's not. It's a couple of years ago now. Uh, we got 2018. Wing, uh, yeah. So we got Lord Wing Grace, um, who was one of the nine titans. Now, the nine titans, we've only actually seen, um, otherwise seen one of them, and that was Frailies. Um, basically, they were a group of planeswalkers brought together by us to attack Phyrexia in the initial like confrontation between the two of them. Um, they're all horrendously powerful. I say horrendously. I don't know why I have to make it so um, so over the top, but they are like... <laughs> Powerful levels. I mean, don't wrong. There are people among that list that like, like Commodore Guff, which I think is again on, on, the, on that list of when they eventually print him, the the, the magic community will, will have a party um, because we haven't had a lot of them. Um, there's Christina of the Woods, Taser of Rabia, Daria, Bolivar. Like these are all big characters that if you don't know these names, fine. But the people that were playing back in the early days, they will have these characters committed to memory because they did so much and they were so instrumental in the early years of um, you know the formative story. Um, so we get Tevish Sat, who is basically an old school bamf he's a badass motherfucker megaloma- megalomaniacal evil kind of on the same power level as um like say bolus um yeah he's a perfect example of absolute power corrupting absolutely after becoming a planeswalker and bestowing eternal youth to his sister the only person he cared for he grew increasingly distant from the world caring only about um, his sister timelin um great names by the way these guys had back in the day um her death allowed what little restraint he had left to vanish, and he turned himself into a twisted dragonic abomination on, a, on an eternal mission to seek silence. Throughout the <laughs> um, so he basically went full evil villain, uh, destroying civilizations, bringing empires like Sarpedia to ruin. Um, he was eventually thwarted in his plans. He retreated to a plane of pure darkness where Urza would eventually find him and recruit him to the protection of Dominaria along with the other nine titans. Ultimately, Tevesh would betray them, 
bring about the return of the primeval dragons, all this crazy nonsense that the old school law used to fucking crack on with without, without blinking. Um, but he was finally stopped um, for good as Urza had predicted the betrayal of Tevash, which kind of, in Urza's way of handling problems, it kind of removed the moral quandary of using Tevash Sat to power mm. soul bonds to drop on Phyrexia. And if that sounds a little bit grey area, that's because Urza was basically full on grey area. He did not give a shit about 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 nastiness but he kind of took away this this guilt feeling by going well if i need i need someone to fuel these soul bombs to, to, to drop on phyrexia and i don't really want to do it to any of my allies so maybe if i ally with someone i know is going to betray me oh well it's your fault you betrayed me so there was this mm. big moment at the end where, where everyone was like oh no he's betrayed us and as was like i know it was the plan all along and everyone was like you planned on him to fuck all the shit up just so you could use him to ki- okay fine good job urza aren't you a lovely person anyway <laughs> point being um Tevish sat um, do I think his card represents him well? Big question, right? So he's four and a black. He's a legendary planeswalk, uh, planeswalker. Zat. Now this is really interesting. Getting planeswalkers from back in the days really is um, is kind of a risk because this is pre-mending, right? And realistically, planeswalkers back then were essentially gods. They were full-on crazy, super powerful. Now. When I look in context of something like, say, Avacyn, Avacyn is arguably probably more powerful than most Planeswalkers. We got to see her as a creature form. Yes, her card is super powerful. So I don't necessarily think that if we've got an Urza Planeswalker, for example, it would have to read plus one, you win the game. Minus two, you win the next three games. You know, minus 10, go around and happy slap everybody in the in the venue. You know, it's not, I don't think it's yeah. really that kind of levels of power. Like you can balance these things out. So even though he is pre-mending Planeswalker, I don't think you have to just push the envelope on him so far that he feels utterly broken to feel right. Um, first of all, his artwork is incredible. I hadn't actually seen like a proper artwork outside of there's like a comic excerpt of him looking very much like the, um, you know, the, the big devil in at the end of, um, oh, what's the, the Disney film? The, one of the first Disney films has a big de- demonic Fantasia. Yeah, and it's got a big um, D-mini D- D- devil at the end of it. There's a there's a comic panel that makes Tevash look a little, little like that. And you're like, okay, cool, very cool. But both of his regular artwork and his showcase artwork really display this nasty, draconic, kind of demonic visage that he had. Which I think, first of all, Doom of Fools, what a name. And in, with, with that and his visage, if you don't know who this character is as a new school player, you're going to go and find out because he sounds and he looks awesome. He's like obnixilous levels of like... Yeah, Ooh, he's got like a forked cool. tongue and he's got a lower body, yeah. which is all tentacles and yeah. Very cool. Exactly. All of that shit. So um he's going, so he comes in with four loyalty, plus two, create two uh zero one black thrall creature tokens, plus one, you may sacrifice another creature or planeswalker if you do draw two cards, then draw an additional card if the sacrifice permanent was a commander, minus ten, gain control of all commanders, put all commanders from the com- from each command zone onto the battlefield under your control. Can be your commander partner. That partner bit nuts don't know why they do this on some <laughs> yes that was a bit bonkers to put partner you know, it's, yeah it's the fact that it's that can be your commander and partner i'm like this just those two lines together can't be good right and we'll get onto that in a second as well because there's another there's another version of this that's um that's gonna kind of cause questions um but do i think it um, represents well sure um, it does feel just generically powerful, which I think he should anyway. Um, obviously, you want his plus uh, not to be too crazy, but it does fuel his other abilities as well. What I do like is it's demonstrative of using any ally to further his own causes, especially you get, get greater benefit by betraying your own allies, which kind of plays towards that idea, as I said, at the end of um, his story arc where he starts kind of turning... Um, against his fellow titans um i like the fact he's willing to sacrifice any and all in his quest to bring silence to the multiverse um so i think i think 
as a card, I think he does all the right things. I think he's just about on the power level where you can get away with it because, again, that can be your commander and partner are both two very, very strong abilities. I think it cut off of a cut away from the abilities and potential of some characters, like, say, Baron Sango, for example, because, yeah, okay, we could make him super powerful and, and do obnoxious stuff because you want to put partner on him as well. Fair enough. Mm. Cool whatever also partners very well with tevash for, for for those that want to do like an old school black um you know evil buddy cop thing going on tevash that and baron Sanger work very well together um yeah really really cool really interesting backstory again super protracted really great to see him and i'm glad that they weren't too afraid to actually do old school planeswalkers one thing i was worried about when they did a um, urza in modern horizons i'm like oh well if they're, if they're willing to print crazy like niche nonsense like red and six because it is a very powerful planeswalker card and yet they're not willing to give urza a planeswalker card and they make it, you know, that, that kind of felt a bit annoying. So then going into Commander Legends, are we going to see any Planeswalkers back when they were Planeswalkers? Yes, yes, we were. Um, and yes, <laughs> we yes, we might do again in the future. So it'd be interesting to see. I would love to see more of the Titans. I'm glad they're slowly ticking them off the list. We're a third of the way through them now. Come on, Wizards, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for my Commodore Guff card. Right? Who, um... who, who can't? That's amazing. It's going to be, it's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> um so next up we have going back to more recent times again i suppose uh we have jury master of the review uh jury master of the review is a legendary creature human shaman one one for a black and a red so rakdos whenever you sacrifice a permanent put a one one counter on jury master of the review when jury dies it deals damage equal to its power to any target uh pretty cool card jury is a member of the rakdos cult on ravnica and this was a character that i think last week when we were talking about the set mechanics uh, and we were looking forward to this week uh, i mentioned that there was a character that i thought i'd heard of before and we were both trying to rack our brains where we saw jury from the place where i thought i saw jury from was the nikki drayden uh Ravnica story that's centered on the Rakdos because the main demon character of that goes to a Rakdos uh, club, like a like a theatre, to try I and get a that show. Story. That's a really cool story. Yeah, it is a very good story. Um, and I thought in my head because Jury Master of the Review is if someone doesn't know who what a review is. A review in this context is like a stage show, like a variety act that has like sketches and skits and songs that usually has kind of like a political edge. It's usually taking the piss out of like the establishment. Um, so like a lot of comedy reviews will like kind of take on mm. things like the muse. So this theme was in that story, but that character was called Ulrich. Um but it filled a very similar role. But we I had seen the name Jury before, and so had you. Turns out Jury has been on several cards in Return to Ravnica block, so the second time that we went to uh, Ravnica. So 2012, he appears on a bunch of different flavor texts, um, and one of them is Grizzly Spectacle, so uh, it reads, Watch people flock to a murder scene, then tell me we're not all a little sick in the head. Jury, proprietor of the Jury Review. So this character has been kind of in the subconscious of a lot of uh, magic players for quite a long time, because Return to Ravnica, whilst not being the best set in the world, or the best block, especially when it came to Gatecrash, um, was very much in people's mind. 2012 was kind of, if we're going through a bit of a resurgence in magic's popularity in the past couple of years, 2012 was the last time that happened, right? It was certainly mm. when I got massively into magic. I know I've been playing yeah, with you a little bit. 
that was definitely a peak for sure. That it's was always definitely a peak. It's always Ravnica that it peaks with. I don't know why. <laughs> it's a very cool plane with very cool yeah. sort of synergy. Yeah. It's very relatable um, sort of That's like it's relatable. Yeah, you can you can grasp. Obviously, the guild system obviously works for people's um, psycho psychology as well. Yeah, all of that. Nonsense. Yeah. So it's really cool that they've brought this character back, and I think it's part of their continued push with something like the Rakdos cult to have them firmly in this kind of performers circus of horror sphere because mm. the Rakdos in general in the in their very first iteration in during like dissension and like the original Ravnica block and then a little bit in return to Ravnica still was definitely far heavier on the blood cult aspect of stuff as opposed mm. to the circus of horrors aspect of stuff that we saw in the most recent trip back to Ravnica so the branding was a lot more yes we do circus acts and things but it's more like um Gore, Gore Chain Walker was a card from Return to Ravnica block and it was very like spikes and metal and like the tightrope was made of like a spiked chain and it was very hellraisery right you know it was very like pleasure very through tearing exactly, yeah, yeah pleasure through tearing of flesh whereas in um Ravnica Allegiance and Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica I think they didn't want to tone it back. I think they just wanted to shift the dynamic a little bit and turn mm-hmm. them more into like the clowns and the street partiers. And there's still the cult aspect there. People still get killed in Rakdos shows and it's still seen as being like a perverse entertainment. But it's it's now it's like, oh, we're a circus that also has a cult in the back, as opposed to in the earlier iterations, it was like, we're a cult that also likes to juggle, you know? So I think they've kind of flipped it around. And it's funny that they're using this character from Ravnica's past and then throwing them completely into this clown aesthetic. So you see on the card, they've got like big striped robes and clown face paint, and they're doing a stage show with a bunch of performers. You know, it's it's very theatrical. Um, and yeah, this is exactly the kind of character that I I really like about Rakdos. I love these theatrical characters. Like Judith Scourge Diva, you don't get many performers as legendary creatures in magic. No, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a like it's a whole kind of yeah, like the bard like subclass right of D anD. d I would love to see more bard characters in magic that are actually doing bardy things while being still being kind of dangerous. And you know, also the card mechanics very very uh, good for something like this. So again, like the big show thing. So whenever a, a creature dies, he gets bigger. So that's like him killing off his performers and audience members during the show. The more death that his show produces, the bigger and more sort of like illustrious he becomes. And then when he dies and he eventually gets caught up by his own circus, he like explodes in a big sort of show of power and deals damage to everyone else. So it's like the big finish aspect you know everyone wants the big finish see someone being shot out of a cannon and that's exactly it um i love this card i don't know if i could build a whole deck around it i think it'd probably go into something else i'm surprised that he's not a partner there are some in this this is the an interesting um question is why some were partners and some weren't because he's quite he feels deliberately not depowered but he feels like he could have been pushed further like he could have had an activated ability or something that causes a sacrifice you know he does he's missing that that extra line that say like say Timur at the Murder King would have had you know as an mm. isolated character and it's weird that he doesn't have partner when I would think he does because all of his abilities work really well to someone else allowing you know either sacrifice fodder or already having the sacrifice ability on him like imagine him and Baron Sengir together for example and adding allowing Baron Sengir to get the red aspect whilst keeping it within the set um, I'm, I'm, it must be a limited thing I'm, I imagine there must be some um, I, I, don't, I don't know where, we're never going to get an answer this is completely you know just whimsy but yeah I feel like he probably could have done with a partner line on him i think considering that his abilities do serve 
function for other for other archetypes as well without being self-sufficient in of itself but beyond that i like to see jobs also represented um in legendary cars like kel's fight fixer for example i like that idea of where you get characters and they're defined by the world and the society around them and it kind of job titles them it's not just i'm a druid it's like no what do you do what's your daily life and how yeah. does that affect you and, and inform your mechanics of your card yeah they're legendary because of the role that they fill not just because they're super powerful um, exactly yeah, yeah I really like it. So yeah, Jury Master Review, super happy that they've got a card. This Again, this was a very different philosophy to the last two I've said, where it was like, oh, why didn't they have a card? Oh, I'm glad they now have a card because of their story. This is a character where I'm like, I knew I knew them, but I didn't know how. And now that they've got a card, I'm glad that character's in the spotlight. So yeah, mm. very cool. Yeah. Well, we always had an episode where we talked about um, characters that are mentioned in flavor text that could eventually become... And we didn't obviously talk... I don't know I don't know if we ended up talking about um, Ravnica going that far back, but we didn't even bring up... Um, you know, uh, during it's quite nice to have characters that they are willing to go back through flavor decks and go, "Hey, about time we gave this person some representation," because um, it means that there's a chance they do that for other characters that not only we want, but other people might want as well. Hundred um, percent. So I'm going to kind of break the rule a little here because um, I'm going to talk about Jessica and Kamal, uh, both of which technically already have cards. I don't know why I'm saying technically; they absolutely do have cards already. <laughs> it's on. not technical; uh, they have cardboard. <laughs> yeah, Kamal, um, in fact, has a couple of um, different um, versions of himself. Um, basically, if you, the reason I put these in is because they didn't necessarily need new cards, but they gave the quote unquote newer generation an updated version of them to play with, and then kept their stories fresh in the mind of newer players as well. Because they are similar to the Tron episode again; they're a piece of history. There's lots of lore for both of them. The journey is incredible it looks back um, to a time with deep extensive story arcs once again these protracted story arcs where people go off do things for years come back you see them again like an actual series like it, 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 it's it's they've got a lot going um, on for them. And if you didn't know and you just had them presented in the, in the card like as they are now, it's good to have a massive backstory to kind of like look into and divulge into. Um, basically, their brother and sister born to the Pardic Mountains in Ataria and Dominaria. Kamal traveled to the Cabal City to compete in the pits there. He became enthralled by the Murari, which is a super powerful artif artifact. Eventually, he claims it and returns home. This is abridged, by the way. There's like books of stuff happening in between the sentences I'm saying. But I couldn't just put lots of stuff happens because that's a bit base. Mm. Um, but between each sentence, I imagine that lots of stuff happens. Um, so he becomes enthralled by the Murari, eventually claims it, returns home. Um, enthralled by its influence, it sparks. A, he tries to um, basically take dominion of over the entire barbarian um, clans, um, and it ends up causing a civil war, which case he and his sister are on two different sides. He ends up stabbing her, um, and. Um, this then breaks the, the, the spell that the Murari has over him. He sees what he's done and what he's wrought. Um, and then he basically um, uh, casts off his barbaric nature in favor of more nomadic lifestyle under the tutelage of Thriss and Antuko. Um, so this is why his first initial card is a red card, a barbarian card. And then you see him later in all his other iterations, especially in the new, in the new card, um, Kamal's Druidic Vow. You might look and be like, well, why, why is this, you know, red guy now suddenly having a green spell? Well, this is why, you know, he, he, he did bad and he repented on his actions and became super uh, pious about it. Jessica is more, is kind of more interesting. Um, after being stabbed by her brother, she's captured and brought before the Cabal Patriarch. This is back when, um, the Cabal, like the Cabal Coffers, uh, reference in those kinds of cards were like the big, um, um, kind of big bad organization of old school Dominaria. And we saw a kind of a version of this with Bells and Lock in the latest Dominaria story, a shadow, a mis shadow of the cabal that used to be. Um, but she's brought um, in, in front of the uh, the leader, the Cabal Patriarch, tries to kill her, but instead he ends up turning her into Phage the Untouchable, um, whose killing touch would rot anything it came into contact with. Um, her and the patriarch end up bonding and becoming and having an end up having a romantic relationship, end up spawning a child, strangely enough. Um, 
she's eventually um she, she eventually comes um to uh, battle with a chroma um kamal um is there to basically uh, try and rescue her from her untouchable phage state um, the two of them join buddy up join together buddy up attack a chroma in the combination of that fight kamal slashes down a chroma phage and another woman called zagorka great name um after these three are fatally injured they end up fusing together to form the false god corona um who which who then eventually corona is destroyed the three men are separated jessica because she's got a latent planeswalker spark it ignites and it saves her and she survives she's apprenticed under khan for a series of years um and ultimately he ends up sacrificing herself uh, during the temporal rift crisis bringing about the mending and saving the entire multiverse Ooh. so just pretty important <laughs> so the story story is exhausting isn't it like, what i mean and as i say in between every one of those sentences lots of stuff happened <laughs> so i mean that's a bridge the reason why i bring this up because because um again it's nice to have these massive story arcs kind of um celebrated the fact that we didn't get a jessica planeswalker card her initial card jessica warrior adept two red red for a three one first strike haste tap mm. to deal one damage target creature or player for the most imp- one of the most important people in the entire history of Magic Law, that card is crap. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to come out and say it. But the reason I, I, I like the fact that we gave her a new card is because not only Jessica Thrice Reborn speaks to the fact that she died and got reborn, and not only as herself, but as other multiple characters throughout her story arc, um, but also the fact that every time she... So she's two and a red for a zero mana... Uh, sorry, as um, a zero loyalty uh, counter planeswalker. She enters the battlefield with a loyalty counter for each time you've cast a commander from the command zone this game. Zero, tar- choose target creature until your next turn. That creature deals thrice the amount of combat damage that it would normally deal to a player instead. And minus X to deal X damage to each of up to three targets. Um, mm. I like this idea, this 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 tripling effect, and this idea that each time she's reborn, she comes back stronger. That really plays towards um, her character arc. It's much more demonstrative of what she did within the story than, say, Jessica Warrior Adept, her normal creature card form did. The fact we get to see her as a planeswalker as well is really interesting. The fact they're willing to give some of the legendary creatures, because back then they didn't have planeswalker cards, they're willing to do that again. Um, Tevash, we didn't even get a normal legendary creature card for, so with Jessica, I was surprised that we actually got like an updated version. Hopefully it does mean we get others in the future. Um, the reason I really like Kamal is because not only is it quintessentially a green stomper from Fatty, but it's also overrun on a, on a stick. Like at the beginning of combat, he gives all your creatures overrun. It's also a fixed um, version of, I goddamn leaf blower. that <laughs> um, also kind of fixes his um, his card because before he had a, a single green to make target land become a 1-1 creature until end of turn. Now this is really dangerous because you can then turn all of your opponent's lands into creatures with all your abundant mana which you have in green like in response to a wrath or something whereas the new kamal heart of crows six green green at the beginning of your combat on your turn creatures you control get plus three plus three and grain trampling end of turn that's the overall ability one and a green until end of turn target land you control becomes a one one elemental creature token not token elemental creature with vigilance indestructible and haste and it's still a land so it kind of fixed mm. this idea if i guess the idea was you were supposed to only target your lands um and then use the original kamal which also had an activated ability of, of um overrun to then make all of your lands huge and attack with them that it kind of got used kind of in a sluggy fashion rather than in a, a stompy fashion so i like the fact they fixed him they made him even more expensive um partner so you can partner him with jessica jessica does have partner as well and can also be your commander i think she's fine because she's super narrow, I also think she's super dangerous because you can make a Voltron strategy quite easily and you can turn five damage into 15 damage. And you could turn any creature with a little bit of a pump into a one hit KO, which I think is pretty dangerous. Mm. 
so yeah, so I think to see the two of them, I think they do a really good job of um, giving an updated version of cards, not only fixing problems that they have mechanically, but also making them much more uh, mechanically relevant. As I say, Jessica's initial card, Pants, uh, Kamala's initial card, maybe a bit too dangerous to just straight reprint, giving them both an update and offering the, new, the newer players an opportunity to look into, again, a very nice protracted um, lore um, segment of, of, of Magic's history. Good. Fantastic. Cannot complain. Plus, it's also the first time we've actually seen um, the Mirari on the hilt of Kamal's sword, which is a massive part of his story arc. And in all of his artworks, you don't actually see it. Um, so in Kamal Heart of Crows, the latest artwork, it is on the back, on the bottom of that. So it's kind of nice. You know, it wraps everything quite quite nicely, harkens back to uh, to some old school um, whilst doing it pretty good justice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very cool that we got them. And also, the uh, alternate artwork for Jessica uh, by Chris Rallis is pretty fierce like i've never seen a character look quite so battle hungry in my entire life yeah, the lunging at the, ca- at the camera aspect of it really works i think both of the alternate artwork planeswalkers look a little bit more photorealistic and i think it really works towards planeswalkers sometimes because they are characters that we are supposed to um not only have more uh, affection towards but maybe you want to show in a more realistic fashion yeah for sure Sure. Cool. Well, my next uh, picks, uh, I'm doing another double, and we've spoken about these guys extensively before, so I think it is worth mentioning them here, because this is our most hype picks for these. Uh, and that is Halana Kessig Ranger and Elena Kessig Trapper. So we mentioned these guys. These were spoiled pretty early for Commander Legends to kind of give us an idea of the, the style of this set, and I think they set the tone really well. Um, so Halana Kessig Ranger is three and a green for a three, four legendary creature, Human Archer, Reach, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay two. When you do, that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature. She has partner. Uh, Elena Cassid Trapper is four and a red for a legendary creature human scout for three with first strike. Uh, tap, add an amount of red equal to the greatest power among creatures you control that enter the battlefield this turn has partner um these two characters are pretty important for a lot of reasons really um firstly they became fan favorites uh through the latest innistrad block um because they got a story dedicated to them i think it was even the first one um so the story under the silver moon 2016 by kimberly j cranes uh and then emrakul rises as well in the shadows over innistrad half of the stories also written by the same author they play quite a prominent role um but they actually date back to the previous Innistrad set, original Innistrad, where you saw Elena appear on a flavor text uh, in 2012's Dark Ascension, and then the next set, Halana got uh, her own flavor text as well as appearing on cards with the two of them. So it's very clear that these two were like a uh, tracking partnership. Um, they're also pretty important because they are a same-sex couple, um, which you know because of magics poor handling of said representation and said relationships in recent story is a very big deal because they're a very strong representation of same-sex couples. Um, it's just they're, they're very cool cards. Like, both the cards are really flavorful for what they do. Um, I like the fact... I think we discussed this before, and I think you were a bit unsure as to their creature typings with Scout and uh, Archer, but I actually mm. quite like them. Because um, Halana is definitely the more level-headed out the two, uh, Elena is definitely the more kind of impulsive, emotional one, which goes for their colours. But Elena is the one that kind of, when they're tracking down the monsters of Innistrad, because that is their job, they they hunt werewolves and vampires and horrors. When they're on the hunt, Elena is the one that is out front, you know, running headfirst into danger with Halana having her back. But then Halana is also the kind of slightly more diplomatic one. But in their stories, Under the Silver Moon and Emrakul Rises, neither of them ever seem to be... Uh, 
inept or incapable whilst also not being impervious they do get knocked about they do get like the drop on them by werewolves and monsters and you know they're not these invincible characters that like um, like i think the term is mary sue isn't it where people like angrily say oh this character is just great at everything and nothing can ever touch them and usually it's derogatively um pointed at female characters in film um but these guys are not mary sue's by any stretch of the imagination uh and i think they're just really well-rounded characters that fill a lot of decent storytelling roles that magic can't really do with other characters and it was really interesting that they also became fan favorites because this is in the same plane and setting as characters like thalia who already fill like a very prominent protagonist slot and are already these big sort of you know monster fighting characters but halana and elena were so evocative and their relationship on the card as trackers uh, on the flavor text and their kind of personalities shone through so much that when they did eventually get used in these stories i think they were just they were just very clear wins for that set also really cool that they don't really um get wrapped up in the planeswalker stories with jason liliana in their initial story under the silver moon they are essentially on the hunt for a werewolf pack in the ulvenvold which is the kind of werewolf forest in innistrad um which is their kind of main haunt too and on their in their tracking of werewolves they do come across the cult of emrakul or the start of the cult of emrakul which they sort of see starting a, a presence on the plane and they come into contact with arlen cord who as we all know is a big favorite of mine um and arlen cord is the one to point out to them that a they're not as powerful as they think they are the humans like although they do try and fight back the horrors of the night if the horrors of the night really wanted to they could probably sweep over the human races but also that actually the werewolves of Innistrad and the vampires of Innistrad aren't the biggest threat to humans right now. And it is, in fact, the Eldrazi, or the what they understand is the Eldrazi. Um, then we see in Emrakul Rises that they've actually put their differences aside with the werewolves completely, as we see uh, a pack of werewolves fighting off Eldrazi horrors. You see Halana and Elena fighting alongside them. So it's they've got this really nice little mini-arc within Innistrad that not only gives you a really sort of visceral punch through into where Innistrad's at with their sort of tribal dynamics and where the plane is at like in terms of its horror and its feeling but also they're just really well-rounded characters as well um and I think these two cards were a very strong choice to have as the forefront of like this is what Commander Legends is going to be and this is how we're going to treat our new characters or our returning characters because they along with people like Malcolm and Breaches they very much encapsulate the characters that people wanted to see on cardboard and giving them partner as well is just chef's kiss perfect all round um yeah i mean how do you feel about halana and elena now that we've kind of now that the hype around them being in the set has died down a bit like how do you feel about the cards i'm really glad that they um, i think the cards themselves um i like the fact they work well together um i think they do interesting things um i still i think retrospectively obviously removing the limited play viability i think partner with is something that really should have been introduced in this set because i think um for certain characters like say like my last year like say commander jessica it's maybe too powerful to suggest the two of them just go together and only together um but say say malcolm and breaches hannah and elena i think there's a certain degree of law lost when they can just partner up with anyone else i know we made the joke that only one of them has flavor text denoting love for the other and it's the other one that's <laughs> more likely to go off and partner with someone else because their ability can be more abused in other in other um with other partners in other format in other forms so I think the cards themselves, I think they're fantastic. I just think that partner with aspect, it actually gives a lot more flavor to certain partners, like say the white black um, partner with um, duo from Battle Bonds. This idea that mm. their husband, you know, demon and angel like lovers, that that I think it, 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 it 
it ties off all of the flavor with a nice bow. I feel like the partner by itself, as much as it, it creates an interesting, um, and it does denote this idea that they are supposed to be partnered together with certain characters, it doesn't really seem to work. So they don't seem like the kind of people that would partner with other people. And then also you can then partner them. I feel like it just feels like weird lore if you've got Halana and Baron Senga sat in your in your command zone. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. That kind of thing I think annoys me. Beyond that, I think they did an amazing job. As you said, these are characters that people wanted for a long time because they do... As you, as you say, they represent um, um, a part of the community that doesn't necessarily feel very well um, represented to the point of where wizards almost feel like they deliberately ignored this idea. And we've had obviously certain issues in the past that have made it seem like they're not particularly um, sympathetic. Um, so yeah. it's nice to see representation. As you say, it's very important they do so. I, for my money, I would have preferred them to have been two colours. I still hold that. I think Alana, Elena should have been green-red and that Halana should have been green-white and have green be mm-hmm. their joining colour. Um, but obviously for the limited environment of this set, probably yeah, not very doable. Would have been a bit too busted. Um, but yeah, Halana and Elena, we've said it about five episodes now that we think these are fantastic cards for the set and uh, I still hold true to that. So there we go. Yeah, lovely. Um, so I'm gonna, uh, we're going to start talking about the Lurgoyf now. And you might be thinking, okay. what? Lurgoyf? Lurg- set well lurgoyth originally printed way back in ice age has the infamous flavor text the absolute epitome of, like this is I'm, I'm so we've moved i'm just going to disclaim now we're moving away from characters like that i feel like really needed um um uh, printing for a long time for story reasons for gravitas in the magic law reasons i think characters like glacian and tabash i think it was an absolute uh, uh, it was appalling that they haven't had a card up until now the card i'm about to talk about Hans, Hans Eriksson, this is me grinning from ear to ear. Um, the reason <laughs> that I say this is because uh, it has one um, eponymous um, um, text line, and that's, Ach, Hans, run! It's the Lurgoyf! Safi Eriksdotter. <laughs> now, the reason I love this card isn't because of Lurgoyf. I didn't really know about Lurgoyf back in the day. When I first started playing, it, it was Mortivor, which was the um, the black version um, of, 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 like, say, Lurgoyf, of that, of that cycle. The reason I really like this card is because I happened to open up a load of Unhinged when I was a youngster, because for some reason I was into crazy, non- nonsense, chaotic magic, even before I realised that's actually what I truly love. Um, and it's a an enchantment, um, and it says, Achan's Run is the title of, of the card. Two red, red, green, green for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may say, Achan's Run, it's the... And if you say a creature, a creature, a name, a creature to card, if you do search your library for the named card, put it into play, it gains haste, remove it from the game at end of turn. This idea yeah. of um, playing into the flavor text here, if we had no idea who um, who Safi was, we had no, no idea who Hans was, but clearly it was so it was evocative enough and it played into people um, enough that they, they made this, you know, this jokey card. And then in Time Spiral, they did give us Safi. They gave us Safi Eric's daughter, green and a white for a 2-2, sacrifice Safi Eric's daughter. Whenever, um, when target creature is put into your graveyard from play this turn, return that card to play. Flavor text. In the blink of an eye, she strode from deep snow to dusty waste. From the crease of light behind her, a voice rang hollow. Safi, wait for me. <laughs> and that's what we ever got again for years. We had no idea who this. We we knew how Hans was. We've we've seen him in a in, in a card art. Don't get me wrong; he doesn't necessarily look exactly like he does in the artwork from um, no. Unhinged, where he's been chased by and a, a menagerie of different beasts um, and, and, and and monsters, which is again hilarious. Looking ripped, by the way. Um, if you look at his artwork in the latest set, he doesn't quite look so um, like he-man i'm gonna say because he basically looks like he-man um so it's written in lurgoy from, from ice age obviously ice age is bonkers years old we've had a hands run from unhinged a a, a throwback to to a to, to a bygone age and, and that was again 2004 that's 16 years ago safi eric's daughter 
Again, it's from fucking years ago. Time Spiral, you're looking at 2006, 14 years ago. So the fact that we finally, finally got a Hans Ericsson card, it might be the most cathartic card I think they could have possibly printed. Um, and I am over the absolute moon for it. Now, it, what it does, not only is he, I'm amazed because we've got him as a card, and not only is the artwork amazing, um, Ryan Panko's doing a fantastic work. Um, in the artwork, you do see Safi in the background. Two red green for a legendary creature, human scout, one form. When he attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put it onto the battlefield, taps an attacking defending player or planeswalker they control. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. When you put a creature card onto the battlefield this way, it fights hands. Now, that's a lot of words. What it realistically means is that when he <laughs> attacks, he's already being chased by a big ass monster. When that monster comes in, it already eats hands <laughs> and then it carries on attacking you. <laughs> now, everything about this is just flavor home run. It's like four different cards worth of flavor all compiled together. And also what I really like is the naming convention. Hans Eric's son and, and Safi Eric's daughter. So they're both daughter and son of Eric. Now, yeah. what we need to finish off this, this, this flavor, this flavor, this, this, this uh, feast, this feast for the flavor senses is who is Eric? Now, I've got an idea. Now, you know, on the curse cycle, the, uh, the, the what's, who's been dubbed, um, the planeswalker that's been dubbed as the unluckiest, the chat, yeah. that Chad guy with the hair and the beard. I reckon, I reckon that's Eric. I reckon that's their daddy. Not only does Safi have an ability to planeswalk, which is kind of denoted in her flavor text anyway, the fact that she was from one, um, she started in one plane and then ended up being in another plane means that she probably survived. So bless her, she probably survived. Hands, eh, maybe, maybe does, maybe doesn't. But what I like the idea is that she has the ability to escape danger. Hans always gets himself into danger. The unluckiest is known to be a planeswalker that gets into all kinds of trouble and then also survives all kinds of trouble. I would be so happy if one day we get an Eric, Eric the Eric planeswalker, and it happens to be the the unluckiest from the um, from the uh, curse cycle. That would be phenomenal. Um, so. I've been smiling throughout this entire thing. The fact that we have little by little got this story built up over all of the years and it's finally delivered and the card is evocative of the effect it's supposed to do. Even the flavor text, nothing could ruin such a fine day, Safi. Yeah. Oh, Hans, you had no idea the Lurgoyf was after you, did you, buddy? <laughs> and it's funny to look at the old school Ice Age artwork. Lurgoyf is having a little chompy munch on someone's skull and I'd like to think it isn't Hans, but it probably, it probably is. Probably but. is, yeah. Or yeah. it's Eric. No, no, Eric, Eric has survived, goddammit. We need an Eric. But anyway, yeah, so all of that, all together, everything about it, super happy. And also the red and green aspect on the um, etched foiling, it, he looks a bit like Santa. It's, it's, it's got a, nice, a nice, um, seasonal feel to it. I don't know, everything about this, this card made me smile. And this is what it's supposed to be. The set's supposed to be about printing characters that make you go, oh, oh, I know him. Oh, I remember him from when I was growing up playing Magic in my early days. Oh, great, cool, now I get to use it. Oh, and he does a cool thing. and Yeah, all of that. All of that squeeness um, that some people will feel with certain cards like Glacian or with certain cards like, say, Malcolm and Breaches. I've, I've mm. gone right down the middle to really obscure, nonsense, flavor text characters um, because that, for me, those deep cuts, that's them really paying attention to the little things over the years of Magic that um, the players have responded to. And being able to actually deliver on it is, um, is marvelous. Well done. Hats off some claps nice the job was yeah cool yeah i mean i love hans as well i think that was a really cool deep cut and uh i can't wait to see him across the table that's a commander that i can't wait to see sat across me very very cool um my last one is this one is going a little bit back for me i've been doing the newer ones but this one's a little bit more of a deep cut it's colfinor the last you 
Colfinor the Last U is three generic white, black, green uh, for a legendary creature, tree folk shaman, three, seven, vigilance and reach. Whenever Colfinor the Last U or another creature you control dies, return up to one other target creature card with a lesser toughness from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, that is a pretty chunky card. Six mana as well. Uh, which is not an insignificant amount of mana for a commander, um, but a very, very cool effect. And this one I will just straight up mention, if you haven't been looking at the cards as we've been reading them, look at the artwork for Colfinor The Last Jew by Philip Berberin. Who is absolutely incredible. Um, pure fantasy art. Uh, yeah, really, really cool. Um, so who is Colfinor? Colfinor is another one of those creatures which has a lot of cards associated with them, but doesn't have their own card, much like a lot of people on this list. But this one is even more so, because there is a relatively popular Golgari Treefolk commander out there called Sapling of Colfenor, which people should be aware of. And the Sapling of Colfenor is essentially the offspring of Colfenor, who is this tree figure. Um, Colfenor is from Lorwim, so it's first introduced all the way back in Lorwim block, uh, and is represented in several flavor texts and cards from the various Lorwim and Shadowmoor sets that uh, were to come as well. Um, he is part of the Red Yew tree folk tribe. So in Lorwim, it was actually quite a deep... Uh, law dedicated to the tree folk of the plane which you don't really get in many other planes of magic which have tree folk in the fact that even within their own uh class and subtype there were other species and other races of trees colfinor is the last of the red yews um he kind of represents both as a character and both as like a, a color pie a kind of natural order on Lorwyn of life and death and continued wisdom and the kind of balance of nature, whereas Una and the Fae sought to disrupt all of that balance with the Great Aurora, which was to become essentially the big story arc of that set, is the Great Aurora and the switching from Lorwyn to Shadowmoor. Colfinor and the other tree folk are kind of the the what should be on the plane the kind of balance of all that kind of stuff um he's not necessarily a good character even though he kind of does represent this balance uh the red yews use poison magic because their uh fruits are actually very poisonous to other living things and he's quite a gruff like aggressive character all the time very dismissive maybe potentially because he is a very old tree and so he doesn't have time for like the young mortals of the plane um, Damn whippersnappers playing in my yard. Yeah, exactly. Very much. Yeah, yeah, very much has that attitude. And I wonder if, like, making him Abzan, because of course he didn't have a color be uh, a card before, and the Sapraling mm. is Golgari, but I wonder if making him Abzan really plays into this kind of grey morality of the Orzov versus the, well, life and death is kind of okay aspects of the Golgari kind of, you know, color pipe philosophies. Um, I think it's a very good color sort of. Uh, triplet for him um his kind of role within Lorwyn uh he didn't have the biggest role but it was the role that he did have was very important so he was a mentor to Reese who is a very popular elf commander that I think most commander players should be aware of and Reese is kind of one of the big protagonists of the Lorwyn Shadowmoor cycles uh he was the I'm going to use Lord of the Rings again he was kind of the Gandalf to Reese's Aragorn I would mm -hmm. say do you think that's mm -hmm. fair yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A grumpy Gandalf slash Treebeard. Obviously, you've got to make that comparison. Um, he's the one that kind of sets Reef off, Reese off on his path of becoming a shaman uh, and also meets many of the main heroes throughout the Lord and Shadowmoor block. He eventually dies 
by trying to reignite the elemental Ashling. Uh, so Ashling gets doused with water um, during the story and essentially dies as an elemental. And uh, Colfinor reignites her, but in reigniting her, sets himself ablaze. Yeah, so that trees perishes. and fire don't don't go, don't go together very don't well. Mix. But it, it kind of it goes to show this is a big part of his character. I feel is that whilst Colfinor is a gruff arsehole a lot of the time and also didn't necessarily agree with everything Reese did. His whole deal is about the preservation of nature and the preservation of wisdom. So, like, mm. pushing forward and always making sure that the old ways are remembered. So his reigniting of Ashling, his self-sacrifice in the moment, was definitely for the greater good of, you know, making sure this elemental was alive to continue the story and continue the good fight against the Aurora and against the Fae. Um, and the sapling of Colfenor is only in existence because he charged Reese with replanting some of himself in uh, his home soil so that he knew when he died the red yew race of tree folk wouldn't completely die out and the sapling itself would then go on to become quite a large protagonist of the Lauren stories as well so yeah there's a lot of sort of like behind the scenes lore for Colfenor with other characters so whilst Colfenor isn't necessarily like a big protagonist in their own right they are the catalyst for a lot of the stuff of that block and a lot of the big commanders that we kind of know today. Um, I kind of feel like the card itself, I don't know if it's just... It could either be just a very good Abzan card or it could be very flavorful. And I kind of flip backwards and forwards because I kind of feel like he doesn't have any tree folk synergies, but then he wasn't necessarily a tree folk no. advocate. Yeah, but also like, the know. idea of when he dies, he brings something back. Because like, the idea being that yeah. when he died, the sapling um, ended up growing. Um, it was mm-hmm. almost like that, like that death rebirth aspect, as you say. He, the natural order of things is, and, and especially for trees, when you're if you're a sentient tree and you know that you can just plant a bit of yourself to create another version of yourself, and it will keep all of your um, all of your lore and everything, and all of your knowledge, and mm. pass it on. It does feel very much like Father Time, almost that yeah. kind of that, that aspect. So I think it works. I also think they deliberately didn't try and push the three color legends too much um i feel like a lot of them feel like they could have been stronger and they didn't push them to be stronger and i think that's a good thing i still think mm-hmm. that ability is pretty damn strong and a nice sacrificey deck which you can do obviously with uh Absan colors quite easily mm-hmm. um that so idea maybe of perpetuation i think yeah works for his character arc so maybe that's it then maybe the reason i'm deciding i'm having trouble deciding whether i think this card is flavorful or not is because it is very flavorful but it also just happens to be what abzan does well anyway so like if abzan didn't do that at all we would be looking at this color card going oh that's super flavorful but it Mm. just so happens that colfenor is kind of the epitome of what abzan is all about as a as a Mm. color uh tribe um yeah you could lift that text onto other cards i don't think it would necessarily it matter if it was colfenor or not you know i think that but yeah as you say that ability works to him but that ability could have been placed on any number of other cards with the same yeah for sure i think out of all the characters that i picked for the ones that i wanted to look at this is the one that i am least excited about but i would also say that any printing of legendary tree folk into magic that have kind of generically good abilities is probably a good thing because the other tree folk that we have uh we have sapling of colfner of course and we have uh doran the siege tower is another Mm. one but Doran's very specific in like a, a niche archetype for a deck, whereas with Colfenor, you could put you could make a Colfenor theme deck and make it quite well, because his ability would just perpetuate you being able to play the cards you wanted, mm-hmm. right? So and it also plays this... with his urn as well, and it plays with the sapling. All of their abilities yeah. all kind of work together. It's not just hey, high toughness, do whatever you want with it. Yeah, so I think this was a really good pull from Magic. Also nice to see Lore in Legendaries. I think we had a couple from this set. I think we had more than a couple from, in this set actually. Um, mm. And Lawin is a plane where 
I think, oh, it felt like we were going to go back there soon, but obviously not next year. But then I also feel the same way about Phyrexia. So I think it's always on the cusp of being, we're going to go mm. back to it. But it's definitely I think a fan one of these ones, I think we're likely not to, just because I think they kind of did the thematics of it, it with our drain quite well. And it was just off the bat. It was it was just before the new wave of kind of, of storytelling. So obviously it was on the advent of Planeswalkers being a car type and all this nonsense. Um, and there were a lot of, the story again was quite, not for lack of a better word, complicated, but it was quite involved. It had a lot of nuance to it. Um, for mm. me, someone who played and started properly playing uh, during Lawwin, this is when like my the collection I built up over the years finally actually got to see use because I started playing with a, um, with a friend of mine and got someone else to finally throw cards at. Colfner was one of these characters that for years I was like, because I got a sapling of Colfner card. Um, and I was like, well, who's Colfner? And then I opened up a Colfner's plans. I'm like, Who's Colfina? And then I see Colfina's I'm like, who the fuck is Colfina? And yeah. like, and you and you never get it. You never find out. And, and it's like, if the sapling of Colfina is this big and this good and this amazing and indestructible 2-5 that draws cards and stuff, who the fuck is Colfina? <laughs> Years later, when Nathan has forgotten all about the anger of, of not having Colfina, when he opens up on a lovely Tuesday afternoon about two, two and a half, three weeks ago, and he sees that Colfina, the last year, has been printed, I nearly jumped out of my fucking seat. So yeah. this is the exact kind of deep cut that I think, again, they're playing homage to characters that have been mentioned plenty of times. And even I forgot how much I needed to see this character and the fact they did it. And again, they didn't make it absurdly powerful. It does a thing. That I'm like, yeah, that makes absolute sense. And yeah, you can build a nice, like I would be very willing to do a tribal tree folk Colfiner deck, not just because I really need an Abzan deck to fill out my, my, my um, spectrum, but also because Colfiner has been a character that's had that name in my head for so long of being like, who the fuck is he? I need him now. And I finally got him. I'm like, well, I can't not, I can't not build him, you know, mm. that's how I like tribal deck. So yeah, I think this was much, much needed, even though it wasn't necessarily obvious. It was much needed. For sure. Well, that's my one. That's Colfinor. If you didn't know who he was now, I think you should have a better idea. And also go check out those Lauren stories. Cause they're very good. They are really cool. Um, yeah. Do you have one more? You have one more, right? Yeah. I have, I have one last one. Um, and it's the same similar vein. Um, and that's um, let me take you back, 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 back to the initial conception days of um, of magic and a guy called Larry Niven. Um, now, Larry Niven should uh, be a name that people know because it, the, the, the name has been on a magic card since Alpha. Um, but he's the guy <laughs> who came up with the term mana to note the amount of magic um, as a non as a non renewable resource tied to lands. Um, he also um, wrote um, the Magic Goes Away um, series, um, and that his protagonist was a warlock. Um, who invented a spinning disc that depletes available mana in its vicinity to power its rotation as an experiment to investigate the mysterious appearance of areas where magic grows weak or ceases to function altogether. Now, what the fuck is all this waffling about? Well, the disc inspired the designers of Alpha to create Neverinial's disc. Now, Neverinial's disc and Neverinial itself is Larry Nevin backwards all as one word. Now, since Alpha... Since fucking Alpha, Andy, this this card has been in play and it's taken us all the way until 2020, you know, 20, 27 years later to finally get the the, the, the Necromage himself. Yeah. So we finally got a never renewal um, Tyrant of Urborg card. Now, the thing that's interesting about Neverinial is he was mentioned not only within the disc, but he's also been mentioned in a couple of other cards. Um, he was in 5th um, edition Drudge Skeletons as, as being listed as the writer of the Necromancer's Handbook. Um, the Magus of the disc, where it was uh, printed in Time Spiral, um, which obviously every card in that set was a throwback to something. Magus of the disc being um, the effect of um, Neverinial's disc, which is one tap, destroy all artifacts, enchantments and creatures. So this this name has already been around and about for ages. Um, he was listed as the King of Urborg State in the Duelist, which is uh, the Watsi magazine that was released between like 93 and 98, I believe. Those those dates might be touch a touch wrong. Um, mm. And the thing that I like um, about um, 
about this is the fact that we've managed to get a character that, again, has been in everyone's mind since the conception of the game. There's been very few drips and drops, like little drips and drops of, of his name kind of link, um, thrown about, but not a huge amount. But because it got Neveronial's just got print, reprinted a few times, it's not gone away anywhere. It's not one of these names like um, that, that disappears because a card hasn't been printed enough times. Like it's been printed in Eternal Masters, Commanders 2014, Vintage Masters. It, it gets reprinted all the time. So this name, why is it such a weird name? Then you look into it and you find out about the the history of it, and it comes to ties into the actual like employees of of, of WotC and the people that were involved in the initial conception of the game. Also, really really cool. The card itself does an excellent job of representing this by being a three white, black, blue. Now that will come to it in a second, because I think that's a curiosity. But he's a legendary creature, zombie wizard, 3-6. He's got hexproof from artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. That means he can't be targeted by, damaged by, blocked by, all of that nonsense. Um, harkens back to the idea that, you know, the disc itself destroys artifacts, creatures, enchantments. Um, when he enters the battlefield, create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token for each creature that died this turn. And when he dies, you may pay one, and if you do, destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. That same triggered effect, that the idea that he's still got the uh, disc on himself. And if you look in his artwork, beyond his super grinny, smiley face, looking super happy, um, he's got the disc literally tucked around his um, around his um, um, his neck. Basically, he's a mm. lich who flattery on him. Is that a good or a bad thing? I've actually seen debates genuinely of people going, if I was a lich, these are the pros of keeping it away from me and here are the cons. And here are the pros and cons of keeping it hidden, <laughs> hidden on my person. Weird conversations that you find on the internet when the spoiler season When happened. have you seen those conversations? When did you go out to look for those? I didn't go out looking for This is when it was initially spoiled. And then we were talking, and then the conversation went on to like, well, why does he have it on his person? And it was like, well, I mean, these are the benefits of having it on your person as a lich and these are the downsides and that's where the conversation went from look these are the kinds of fantasy conversations i want to be happening after spoiler season not just oh it's gonna break break legacy oh no you know i don't like don't always have to do that voice but yeah the what i do what the the reason i like this card is because thematically not only does it keep the disc um mechanically bound to the card itself but i like the idea that as a lich the play pattern is that you play so you've got him in play you sacrifice him to, to, to whatever ability that you have in play, or if he dies or whatever, you pay one in spite. Because it says on the flavor text of the disc, Neverinial's final act of spite was to make sure all of his magic was destroyed along with him. Now, what mm. I like about this is when he dies, you trigger it, pay one, it destroys all artifacts, enchantments, and creatures. Then you replay him back from the command zone, because you can, because obviously he's your commander. And when you do, and you enter the battlefield, you create a 2-2 black zombie for each creature that died this does. So the idea is that it's almost like a nuke has gone off, and he comes back because he's a lich, and he raises all of the creatures that died with him as his new army. Now that is like the most full-on lich card that I've ever seen and, and, and like read mechanically in my life. There has been a fair few, like, you know, Philactory Lick 5-5. Five, five, when it comes to play, you put a counter on a target artifact, and it's got indestructible as long as that artifact is in play. Lovely. I like that idea. But this idea of coming back and coming back with an army. Now, I've seen enough fantasy, like Dragon's Dogma and stuff like that, even say, like, you know, Adventure Time, where I've seen enough lich characters. But this is the first time I've seen a lich that genuinely feels like it comes back every time with a bigger army each time. And the idea that it has Urborg in the name as well, it's super resonant. The only thing I don't like about his card is why he was white. I think obviously they had to do a, they did a, a new commander for each of the um, the, tr- the three color combinations. You know, so Colfinus might not have needed to be all three colors, but it worked to be the absent colors. Neverinial to me doesn't scream Esper. To me, he screams mono black. You know, I don't, I mean, as much as he will be a knowledgeable f- a, a, a fella, <laughs> call him a fella, ain't never any real fella. As much as he might be a knowledgeable fella, I don't see where the white order comes from, really, beyond the idea of maybe, you know, the society of zombies around him, but we've never seen any other necromancer have that kind of thing attributed to him. Beyond the colour identity, 
everything else about him is a home run. And it's amazing to have a, a character that has been around since Alpha finally get paid homage to when we actually had very little outside of his disc to really go on beyond a few different bits of flavor text. And yet it probably feels like one of the more flavorful mechanical cards of the set. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, the artwork is also insanely scary. Like, for modern day magic standards, like, this is a creepy looking dude. Um, yeah, that's a good point about the artist. I don't, I don't recognise the artist's name that much, actually. Let me... Who else has she done? Oh, there's that actually quite a bit. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Was it Yongay Choi? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, Yongay Choi's done yeah. a lot, yeah. Yeah, I'm so bad at that. Name recognition is awful. Oh yeah, Shikana, all of that nonsense. Fantastic, cool. Yeah, but as, as artworks go, this is probably her, um, <laughs> this is like her breakout one. I think this is amazing. Um, yeah, super smooth smiley. Again, we had nothing to go on. We had no idea what it'd look like. Um, there's no like um, concept artwork or anything like that that we can play off of. So the fact they managed to do such an amazing job and then also do the throwback of having the um, the actual disc in the artwork as well, I think is, yeah, very good. I mean, it's kind of very similar to like Tormod, for example. Like Tormod was also a printed set. Again, we're not going to talk about everyone, but another name that's resonant throughout players uh, has been for years and people will be going, well, who is this character? Why isn't there more about him? Why don't I know anything? Yeah. And Legends is the kind of environment where we can go not only here, here's the character itself, but the little lore slide that they gave for Niverennial was pretty much as much lore as we've ever had for him um already so like it, it's it's amazing that you can have such uh pivotal characters such um household names for the game not have any representation and still be so um i don't want to say beloved but as in like there is a certain degree of affection towards it as a card when you finally print it when it has as i say like like hans erickson from myself or colfner for example like names that have been bouncing around my head for years finally getting paid paid credence to is is phenomenal and i think i think gavin did a fantastic job here when he said at the beginning he's gonna be ticking a load of boxes he's gonna be hitting a lot of the flavor notes that people have wanted for years and he's going to answer a lot of these demands in one fell swoop bloody hell did he yeah yeah, still well need gigs, but you know, fine, whatever. <laughs> Eyes, well, they still they need to keep some in the tank for Commander Precons exactly. and Modern I Masters 2 and all that kind of stuff. Because Modern Masters 2 was meant to be like the Time Spiral 2, right? And yeah. I kind of, I, I see where that comes from. And I understand that that maybe is what they were trying to do before they kind of scaled it back to be Modern Horizons. But I feel like Commander Legends really is the true Time Spiral 2, where yeah. everything is a reference to something. Everything's a little throwback. There are some exactly. crazy abilities that, you know, have nothing to do with anything, but are still really interesting. And then there's other ones which are very sort of clear and, and tight abilities that, mm. you know, really synchronize with everything else. Um, Yeah, I love it. Um, You have a couple of honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. things that... People that don't necessarily have a large amount um, to talk about, but things that we wanted to mention. We already mentioned it already. The Ghost of Ramirez de Pietro. We didn't actually do a card because, again, he's already represented. The interesting thing, it was he's the only character that from Legends, the original set yeah. Legends, that got printed or got a new card or whatever, which is really interesting because the, the new set Commander Legends, you'd have expected a few of the commanders from Legends when they all were just random characters that usually had, you know, like... Uh, randomly like first strike which is a four five first strike in azurius colors for seven mana <laughs> yeah. you know shit like that these are the kinds of cards that probably need an update it's just hard for certain of them the only ones i think that really had a lot of um affection towards them were things like hazim which already has a very interesting ability um so realistically unless you're you've, you've deliberately depowered deck and made some crazy you know like deliberately obtuse legends deck i don't necessarily think there was a lot to bring out from that the reason why ghost of ramirez de petro gets an honorable mention is because there was this theory um story-wise law-wise that he was immortal because we always he spoke as if he was an old man but he looked about 15 years old and what i like is now we've seen now we've seen him all these years later now he's of spirit he now will live forever 
And I think mm. that's quite an interesting. I like that. I like that cut. Again, it was also interesting to see that he was the only character from Legends that was that seemingly mentioned. Like we didn't get um, an update on all of the Elder Dragons. We, obviously, we got all of those um, in the Dominarius um, um, core set a few years ago, so not as important. But it is interesting that he was the only one chosen. The other Went one, from Grixis to Mono Blue as well. Yeah. Well, this is the the colorations. Uh, the colorations of, of of Commanders and Legends are baffling to say the least. I would love to have a little sit down, three hour conversation as to hmm, let's have a little muse of exactly why they thought these characters needed to be these colors you know because some of them like Rasputin Dreamweaver for example is really interesting but uh, again like being I don't know he, his effect actually works towards being Azurius but when you give like say you know a gruel commander fear you, you really know that they were just throwing random shit oh you're talking about in, in Legends in Legends probably. yeah in Legends yeah. specifically yeah um, so the other one that we need to mention um, which gets uh, two thumbs up from me um, is the one who hasn't got any um, and that's uh, Krak the Thumbless. Um, again, Boo. fan vindicate. What is that? The pun? Fuck you. <laughs> the fan vindication. Um, this character, I don't think anyone expected to see. Um, if you did, I think you were still surprised to have. St- if you even if you really wanted him in the set and thought he might be, I think you were still surprised to see them actually do it. Um, I don't know if anyone was particularly asking for it either, but amazing. He's a really nice um, addition to the set. Um, Crux, um, obviously Crux thumb being the W coin flips and then Crux other thumb being your W dice rolls from Unstable. The fact they actually paid homage to him. Decently powerful effect as well. Um, the fact you can partner up with other commanders. He's got a good bit of lore as well. The lore being that he was a gambler and he gambled away both his thumbs and then in a pledge to uh, get one of the, to get his thumb back, he journeyed all the way to the centre of Mirrodin and back, writing about it. Now how you can write without a thumb I don't know why they put that in there that he wrote a whole book on it. How can you write without a thumb? Well, yeah, but how much do goblins write anyway? He probably wrote it with a pen in his mouth. Well, just, he probably just did hand print, you know, like, uh, what's it, like finger painting. <laughs> that was yeah, his, or like uh, used his nail on his index finger. That's what I would do. Yeah, fair doing. enough. Oh, that's cl- I can see, look, this is a good conversation already. But yeah, I like the fact, decently <laughs> powerful effect. Carries the, oh, the carries the flavor text as well, as well. Uh, because in um, on Croc's thumb, let me just grab it quickly um, so I don't muffle it. Um, so Croc's thumb, I can think of, um, so um, in the... So Croc's other thumb, sorry, from Unstable says, Croc was the kind of goblin who'd lose his thumb in a wager and come right back with double or nothing. Which is great, the idea that he lost his first one to lose his second one. What's the flavour text for Croc the Thumbless? Double or nothing. nothing. Exactly. So the fact he actually quotes the thing that's quoted on, uh, that's that's beautiful. Makes me very, very happy. So yeah, those are my honourable mentions. Um, Again, there are some characters I think we still will likely see going forwards. There's a couple that we didn't necessarily talk about, say like, you know, like Radiant and Jared. Jared, I think, is the only one outlying that we didn't talk about because not only was his law quite... um, obtuse but it's also a card that didn't necessarily resonate for either of us sorry if Jared's uh, one of your favorites I do think his artwork is some of the best artwork in the set that is worth mentioning otherwise I think that covers as much as we can cover reasonably without it taking until next Tuesday sure for sure well I mean next week not necessarily next Tuesday we will be carrying on with our uh, talk about the legends from the set but we'll be doing the brand new legends and potentially we'll also mention if there are any legends that we thought were brand new but we found out that they actually did have some lore because that's also pretty interesting things like mm. jury that I mentioned earlier some earlier sometimes you think a legend is completely brand new and then you realize they've actually been in the yeah. game for quite a while I like the salamander so will... dude for example like, yes yeah. well yes exactly um if we didn't talk about your favorite flavor pull from this set guys do let us know on Twitter at mtflavoring. You can also send emails to mtflavoring at gmail.com. Uh, Nathan, your Twitter is? 
at the fox in the moon oh god you're blindsided my... me there i forgot it for a second <laughs> <laughs> uh, my one's at andy Manface. um yeah we have been having a lot of fun with this set we are both mm. waiting on product we're not going to get it at like pre-release speed but we will get it when it's on full release and i'm very much looking to building some sealed edh decks because yeah can't draft it right now but um that's no. a shame um we also have a youtube channel I never mention it, really. I think I mentioned it when we first launched it, but it's kind of a, a, a sort of side project, a back burner. Um, we recently released this week of recording uh, our latest Crack a Pack episode, our latest pack with flavor episode, uh, where I open up a pack of Zendikar Rising set boosters. Um, and we have a look at all the flavor goodness that's inside. So please do check out our YouTube as well. Hit that subscribe button and any likes or comments in the video sections are also very well appreciated. Um, again, it's a, it's kind of a side thing for us, but it is all also an outlet for us to do things that we wouldn't normally do in podcast form which is you know pretty cool um other than that nathan do you have anything final to say god no no i think we've run out, i've run very much run out of voice so thank you for listening this is far <laughs> no worries yeah this is going to be a long one but that's just i mean it just goes to show that there's just so much flavor packed into this yeah. set, which is only a good thing magic lore is long who knew <laughs> who knew uh well all that remains for me to say then guys is thank you so much for listening this has been magic the flavoring we'll see you soon Thank you.